This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Now, you might be here never been to an At The Movies. You might be thinking, what is Christmas at the movies? What does that mean? That's a good question. It's just simply this. It's timeless truth told through timely stories. We're going to take the, the truth of the Bible and we're going to use a modern story to tell that truth, okay? The thing is, stories aren't just entertainment. They're actually statements of truth. And what I've come to see about stories is the stories we love often represent truth that's important to us. Through story, we get to encounter truth through narrative and emotion, and it's very, very powerful. And today, for the next couple weeks, we're going to do some of our favorite Christmas movies, but today we're doing Elf. Y'all are not going to believe what they made me do. I'm just going to say that, okay? It hurts my heart. I'm a, little, I'm a little wounded to even have to share it with you today. Let's just, want, just roll the video. Fine, I'll just try to get it. Just try to get it done. This is, this is so uncomfortable. This is so, this is so uncomfortable. Why would anybody want to do this? Cut! Cut! Oh. I'm wearing tights, John. I'm wearing tights. Why would anybody who's a self-respecting man wear tights? What if I, what if I sit down? Whose idea was this? Was it Zach, the intern's idea? Was it Zach? Was it Zach? Where is Zach? Cut! Cut! Try it again. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. It's childish. This is childish. It is childish. It's childish. I'm an adult. I'm a grown man. I have a beard. And nobody can tell me whose idea this was. Nobody. Dressed up like an elf, they said. It'll be fun. It's not fun. Whose idea was it? You know, I bet it was Haley's. It was Haley's idea. That's who it was. It was Haley. You know what? These young kids with all these ideas floating around in their heads. Well, try this. It'll be cool. Put it on the TikTok. Shmishmak. I don't know what it is anymore. Did, did my wife put you up to this? Is this going to be some kind of jib-jab Christmas card that's going out to everybody in the church? I don't know what's happening with this.
I don't even know what I'm supposed to say now. I don't even know. Whose idea was this? Was this you, camera? Was this you? Viewer from the other side? Person I don't even know who came up with an idea like this to get me in a costume like this? It's breaking my heart. Can't do it. Good. Good. I mean, genuinely, I'm uncomfortable. Not, Not because I'm wearing tights and I don't know how I don't know how people wear tights. That doesn't even make sense to me now that I've worn tights. I'm uncomfortable because I'm a grown man. And there are things as a grown man that you don't do. And one of those things is play dress up, especially as an elf, too grown up for this. I mean, there was a time, I was a child. I did play dress up. I wanted to be Superman, He-Man, and all the other kind of men. I wanted to do all that stuff, but now I'm an adult. Nobody's going to take you serious if you do something like this. Have you ever felt like I feel right now? Where you're a little a little too grown up for something. Maybe your kids are asking to play. Maybe it's dress up, just wrestling on the floor. But you're like, I'm, I'm just too grown up for that. Maybe you're at the wedding and... Everybody starts to dance, but you don't want to dance because you don't want to look foolish. I think there's something about life when we're kids that we all too often lose when we become adults. It's my prayer today that we will find that again. In the context of this film and this story, there is an invitation to childlikeness. And I pray that as we dive into this narrative, this movie, this story, that today God would invite you into that. Let's prepare our hearts, open our hearts to that as we watch this first clip from the movie Elf. do this to you, but you think you can help me pick up the slack on those Etch-a-Sketches? No problem. I appreciate it. Buddy is killing me. I already got Lum Lum and Choo Choo pulling doubles. Quick thinking yesterday with that special talents thing. I feel bad for the guy. Just hope he doesn't get wise. Well, if he hasn't figured out he's a human by now, I don't think he ever will. If he hasn't figured out he's a human by now, I don't think he ever will. I think they're too small. They're just special. <laughs> you don't look so good, buddy. Are you okay? I'll be okay. I just need a glass of water. 
Buddy, are you okay? I'm sorry, Papa. Just need some alone time. Buddy, I, I think we, we have to talk. Buddy, I, I think there's something I, I probably should tell you. You should, probably should have found out a, a long, a long time ago. I then proceeded to tell Buddy of how his father had fallen in love when he was very young with a beautiful girl named Susan Wells and how Buddy was born and put up for adoption by his mother and how she had later passed away. I, I told him his father had never even known that Buddy was born. And most importantly, I told him where his father was in, in a magical land called New York City. My dad works there? Empire State Building. And you'll find your fortune falling all over town. Yes, pennies from heaven. Pennies from heaven. Looks like a Christmas tree. I'm not gonna charge you. Just bring them by and I'll see what I can do. Excuse me. I'm here to see a Walter Hobbs. I'm Buddy the Elf. <laughs> you look hilarious. Who sent you? Papa Elf. Papa Elf? Mm -hmm. From the North Pole. From the North Pole? Yes. So you really think we should ship him? No. I think we should take a $30,000 bath so some kid can understand what happened to a puppy and a friggin' pigeon. Ship him. Yeah. Mr. Hobbs, it's me on the intercom. Go ahead. Yeah, I think someone sent you a Christmas gram. Dad! <laughs> all right, uh, let's get it over with. I walked all day and night to find you. Uh, you look like you came from the North Pole. <laughs> Exactly where I came from. Santa must have called you. Oh, yeah, sure. He uh, just got off the cell phone with me. You did? So, go on. Go on with what? Well, I, are you going to sing a song or something, or can I just go back to work? A song? Uh, yeah. Anything for you, Dad. Um, I, I, I'm... I'm here with my dad, and we never met, and he wants me to sing him a song. <laughs> and um, I was adopted, but you didn't know I was born. So I'm here now. I found you, Daddy. And guess what? I love you, I love you, I love you! Wow, that was weird. <laughs> oh, I love this story. I think that's the powerful thing about movies that engage our lives, the story of them. Story looks a lot like life, and I don't know if you're like me, but in my life, I've had a lot of moments where it's like, you need to grow up. You, you, you need to grow up a little bit. You know, you're young, you spent too much money. You need to grow up and live by budget. 
run your mouth when you shouldn't have. You, you need to grow up and learn how to hold your tongue. It's a lot of things in my life feel like I've just come to these moments. You, you need to grow up a little bit. You know what? Now, I was, I, it, it, if you're over 50, you don't know this term. But the young kids call it adulting. Okay? Adulting. That's paying bills, doing the laundry, doing the dishes, living by a budget, being responsible. I actually decided, okay, I want to look up some things that some young folks have said about adulting and just see their perspective. I want to share some because they're funny. Look at this. I used to sneak out of my house to go to parties, but now I sneak out of parties to go to my house. <laughs> anybody, anybody identify with that one? Oh, this one. This one I've lived this week. Being an adult is mostly being exhausting, exhausted, wishing you had not made plans, and wondering how you hurt your back this time. I hurt my back driving on Monday. Driving! How do you do that? I don't know. This one is so real. The next one. I used to think adulthood was managing one crisis after another. I was wrong. Adulthood is multiple crises concurrently all the time forever. And this last one, I this last one, if you, if you don't see this one, we don't see it the same way. You know you're an adult when the most exciting thing in your life is extra sleep. All right? You know, mom's watching the boys. I can sleep in tomorrow. That's exciting. For many of us, growing up was understood as becoming more responsible. You got to be more responsible. You live by budget. Show up to work on time. And authority and influence, which are calling naturally depends on is deeply connected to responsibility. I don't want to dismiss that. To steward the authority we're given, we must choose responsibility. This is most evident as parents where we're given our kids, we're given authority in their lives and there are overtly some parents who dismiss that responsibility. So today I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that deals with this. When it comes to adulting, can you be too grown up? If you have your Bibles, if you have your Bible on your phone, go ahead and pull up Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 is where we're going to camp out, verses 1 through 6. And it begins with a simple question. Verse 1, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's the greatest? Well, we know that these disciples were fairly competitive. Not only do we know that because they were just guys, but the Gospel of John records a small detail, which I find hilarious, that John the disciple outran Peter to the tomb. Why? Because he wanted somebody to know. They were competitive. Jesus, who is the greatest? And what do you expect him to say? We would expect him to say, well, it's obviously the most responsible one. 
It's the one who's the most gifted, the one who's been given the most and has been the most responsible with what they have been given. But what he says is remarkably countercultural. Beginning in verse 2, he called a little child to him and he placed the child among them and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Maybe we missed the point of growing up. I want to make two simple observations from this text so far. And the first one is that Jesus overtly tells his disciples they need to change. He's not mixing any words. And for some of us, that's almost an affront to our person. I need to change. I like who I am. You know how hard I work to become this person? Truth is, you're going to change. You are not going to stay the same. Your life is going to move towards your goals, towards your vision, or it's going to move away from it. You will devolve or evolve, and I want you to understand as one of us, Our only choice is growth. I don't want to go backwards. I want to go forwards. I want to grow. I'm going to change. So I'm going to choose to change intentionally in a way that compels and propels my life forward to what God's called me to. You need to change. But then number two, Jesus tells his disciples to get more of heaven, they must be more like a child. The kingdom of heaven is not where you go when you die. It's a present spiritual reality that we are invited into on this earth at this moment. And Jesus is saying, no, listen, guys, I I think you've missed it. You got to change. To enter into this kingdom, you've got to be like a child. That's why we love this movie, Elf. Because it is... An invitation to childlikeness. The truth about Christmas, Christmas is irreversibly connected to a child. For many of us, the next few weeks, the the brightest moments, the most meaningful moments will be connected to children, our kids, our grandkids, kids in our family. But Christmas is, in its essence, connected to to the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And there's something about child-likeness that we're invited into in this story. Buddy the Elf reminds us of what it's like to be like a child. So let's take a moment right now and watch the second clip from this movie. Oh my God, Walter, this is wonderful. You, You have another son. Wonderful. Gosh, I I guess I never really thought of it that way. This is incredible. You know, it's a little complicated, but it's nothing that we can't handle. What? He thinks he's an elf. I'm sorry, what? He thinks he's a Christmas elf. Oh, come on, Walter. I'm sure he doesn't actually think he's an elf. And then I traveled to the seven levels of the candy cane forest 
past the sea of swirly, twirly gumdrops. And then I walked through the Lincoln Tunnel. So where were you for the last 30 years? The North Pole. Can you pass the maple syrup, please? I, I didn't put it. It's spaghetti. You know what? I think I have something. Yes. You like sugar, huh? Is there sugar and syrup? Yes. Then yes. We elves try to stick to the four main food groups. Candy, candy canes, candy corns, syrup. So, will you be staying with us then? You mean I can stay? Of course you can. Emily. How, how long do you think you'll be with us? I, I hadn't really planned it out, but I was thinking like forever. Emily, can I just speak to you for a minute in the uh, kitchen, please? So, Dad, I plan out our whole day. First we'll make snow angels for two hours, and then we'll go ice skating, and then we'll eat a whole roll of Toll House cookie dough as fast as we can, and then, to finish, we'll snuggle. I've got to go to work, buddy. Oh, and, and another thing. If you're going to be staying here, you should think about you know, getting rid of the costume. But I've worn this my whole life. You're not in the North Pole any longer. Walter here. It worked! It's you! How'd you get this number? Emily left an emergency list. I see. And uh, is this an emergency? There's horrible noise coming from the evil box underneath the window. It sounds like this. No! It's, uh, it's, it's not evil, buddy. It's, uh, it's a radiator, and the heat makes noise when it comes on. No, it doesn't. It, it's very evil. It's scary to look at. It's okay. I'm going. Oh, wait. Yes, it is. Okay, it's okay. It's okay. Everything's fine. You're right. Okay, good. I I'm gonna hang up now. I love you. We'll call you in five minutes. No, no, but buddy, don't. Uh, you don't have to call me, okay? Good idea. You call me. Okay, I'm gonna hang up now. I painted a picture of a butterfly. Good. I'm gonna hang up now. I turned the piano. So, what does it mean to be like a child? What does it mean? Does it mean being impulsive or irresponsible? The truth is, is that in this passage, Jesus gives us insight into what he means. In the very next verse, verse 4, he says this, Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I'm give you three attributes today of what it means to be like a child. And the first one is this, to be humble to be humble. And I want you to think about this in this context. Are your children the most important central figures in your family? Now, unfortunately, we live in a culture where there are many parents who idolize their kids. Their lives are wrapped around them. But asking these questions, do, do your kids pay the bills? Do they pay the mortgage? Do they pay for the groceries? No, they don't. This was 
especially true. It, our kids are not the center of our family, but this was especially true in the first century for Jesus. Kids were viewed at best as assets for a family, and that's when they had grown to a place where they could contribute to their family. But as young children, they were just simply liabilities. So much so that when a child was born with a disability, it was very common for them to expose the child, which means they would walk it out of the city, leave the child alone until it died. Or somebody came and took the child as theirs. So this is a radical moment for Jesus to bring a child in and around his disciples and say, no, if you want to be great, be like them. It's calling for humility. See, the thing about pride, pride is an irrational fixation on yourself, a centering on one's own self. And I use that word intentionally, irrational. Because pride will get you doing the same thing over and over again when all the fruit from it is already broken and lost and you know it's not going to work out. But somehow you keep going back to it. Pride will get you bragging about who you are and what you've done to try to get admiration. But it only gets disdain over and over and over again. It'll get you trying to control this and this and this only to feel control way out of your grasp. So Jesus is, whoever takes on this lowly position, what's he saying? You've got to humble yourself. Humility is recognizing your place. And that place is not central. Your kids know this. It's why they come up to you 50 times a day. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. What can I eat? Where's snacks? What's for snacks? You got any snacks? Snacks around? You can just eat. We just ate. You just had a steak, a baked potato, a salad. You just ate dessert. Why do you need a snack? They come up to you. Why? Because they know that they're not providing it for themselves. The translation for that lowly position, that word is translated often into humility, but one translator translated it into one who is brought low. That's the thing about pride. You can either humble yourself or you'll be humbled. The word humiliated literally means to be made humble. Jesus says, no, look at this. Take the low position, the humble position. That's number one. The next verse gives us insight into another attribute. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes. Now, remember, he's teaching about being childlike. And the second thing that I want you to see that kids do so well is that they're accepting. They're accepting. Whoever's welcoming, whoever's welcoming, you, you welcome me. Be like a child. Be, be welcoming. You know, rejecting is often based in fear. 
I don't, I don't want to be close to that person, somebody who looks like that, has tattoos like that, has piercings like that, who has a skin color like that. It's fear. It's fear. And I was thinking about this as a, I read an article that, that said, you know, there are only two fears that we're born with. The fear of loud noises, the fear of falling. That's it. Other, every other fear that we have is a fear that comes out of our experience or that we're taught. Put my hand on a red hot stove. I'm not going to do that again because I learned there's pain with that. My experience taught me to be afraid. Before kids learn to be afraid, they're remarkably accepting. I saw a lesson that when I was in third grade, halfway through the year, there's a young boy named Daniel came to school. Daniel was different than every other kid in our class. From day one, he was wearing a hat. We weren't allowed to wear hats, but Daniel was. He was very quiet. He was very kind. Soon became friends with everybody. We loved him. Then one day when the teacher was out and there was a substitute, the class bully, while she wasn't paying attention, walked by and knocked his hat off. And we found out that Daniel was wearing a hat because he has alopecia, which is a condition that causes hair to fall out. What do you think happened in a third grade class? Well, the bully thought we were going to make fun of him, but that's not what happened. Because we loved him. He was our friend. We weren't afraid of that. See, fear is really an issue because it will get you rejecting God. And that's really the question in this. Will you receive what God's trying to give you or will you reject it because it's uncomfortable and it's provoking fear? See, fear will get you saying no to the good, uncomfortable gifts that God wants to give you. Kids are, number one, they're humble. Number two, they're accepting and then this next verse, verse 6, is often taught as another discourse, but I want to use it to see what, what Jesus is really speaking about here when it comes to being like a child. Look at what he says. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Why does he say, if anyone would cause these little ones, these ones who are childlike, who believe in me to stumble. Why would he address that? Because those who are childlike are number three, trusting. Kids trust, don't they? You ever done that as a parent? You just try to get your kids to do something stupid because you, you know they're going to trust what you tell them to do? I have words that I say awkwardly around my kids just hoping one day that my kids will repeat that. Every time they say the word orange, I say orange. You mean orange? Dad, shut up. Why are you saying that again? It's happened with us. A few weeks ago, one of our staff members was picking up our kids because I was out of town and she was being super helpful. Her name's Haley. So Haley shows up to pick up our two boys and take them to school. Haley had left a bag of broccoli in her car for days, which is not wise, one. But it smelled like a bag of broccoli would. It smelled horrible. So she told our boys, 
Hey, listen, on the way this morning, I ran over a raccoon and right before I ran over it, it sprayed my whole car with poop. And our boys believed her. Sprayed, okay, that's why it smells. Has this ever happened to you? In life, we, you, you believed that a friend was trustworthy only to find out that they're not? You believed in an investment and you put your money into it only to find out that it didn't produce the return you thought it would. Bitcoin somebody, right? In an effort to protect ourselves, we've often stopped trusting as we grew up. Stop trusting. But at what cost? What has your cynicism cost you? Has it cost you believing and trusting in the things of God? And if you have an issue with trust, I mean, can you really follow Jesus if you refuse to trust? Being like a child, being humble, accepting, trusting. Could that save Christmas? Could it save your Christmas? I have a feeling it could. Let's watch this last clip from the movie Elf. I don't belong anywhere. Buddy! Buddy! Buddy, where are you? you. The clausometer suddenly just dropped down to zero. There's just no Christmas spirit anymore. The, the strain was too much. The engine broke free of her mounts. I need an elf's help. I, I'm not an elf, Santa. I, I, I can't do anything right. Buddy... You're more of an elf than anyone I ever met. And the only one who I would want working on my sleigh tonight. Excuse me. Oh, thank you. Excuse me. So the authorities have not discovered any reindeer in the park? No, no reindeer. Sleigh bells? No, no sleigh bells either. Elves? None of that. We really just need everyone to... It's him. It's the real Santa. His sleigh won't fly because nobody believes in him. Did you see something in the park? Everyone out there? Santa needs us to believe I can prove he's real. Look, this is his list. 
Okay, well, further confirmation that there has been a Santa sighting tonight. We have an audience nice list. Link Kessler wants a Powerpuff Girls placement. Mark Weber wants an electric guitar. Yes. Carolyn Reynolds wants a Susie Talks Lot. Thanks, buddy. Dirk Lawson wants a Dave Pampering at Ferg Williams Spa. Must be another Dirk Lawson. Dave Kepper wants some Nike shocks. Okay, uh, no, well, um, obviously we have a new development in the story, uh, uh, confirmation that uh, Santa must have been sighted because we have his book right here. <laughs> What's your name? Uh, I'm Charlotte Denon, New York One. D, D. Charlotte Denon wants a Tiffany engagement ring and for her boyfriend to stop dragging his feet in committal. Oh! <laughs> Well, still no sign of Santa, but some spontaneous Christmas caroling has broken out right here in front of Central Park. Let's have a listen in. When you're sleeping, he knows if you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. You better not pout, I'm telling you. for sure what happened this Christmas Eve in Central Park. So what would it mean to do Christmas like a child? For us to do what Jesus said to his disciples, you need to change and to be more like a child, become like a child. I'm going to take the three things that we talked about just a moment ago and make three simple recommendations for you this Christmas. Number one, make this Christmas about Jesus others, and then yourself. Make this Christmas about Jesus, others, and then yourself. I'm not saying don't take care of yourself, but let's make Jesus the center of our Christmas. Pride will tempt you to make it all about you. When you have a Christmas gathering, when you're thinking about presents, it will tempt you to make it all about you. And you might be saying, okay, yeah, I get that. It's not about me. It's obviously, it's, it's Christmas. It's about family. But Jesus, I mean, how do you expect me to do that? It's so busy. There's so much to do. If you don't make your faith central to your Christmas because you're too busy, what's really at the center of your life? For some of us, we like Jesus. 
but he's not at the center. And I want to remind you of something. You cannot live in the promises of Jesus if Jesus is peripheral to your life. There's some big stuff that's promised if we're living for God, if Jesus is at the center of our life. For some of you, Christmas is hard. It's difficult. You lost somebody. It's a season of mourning and sadness. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that though weeping and mourning and sadness may last for a night, here's a promise, that joy is coming in the morning. Okay? But that's not for everybody in the room. That's for those of us in the room who have centered our lives on Jesus Christ and surrendered our life to him. Make your life about Jesus, others than you. Number two, accept things and people where they are and let God right what's wrong. It was just a few months ago that I was processing with my counselor something that as a family, my wife and I were trying to decide how to deal with it. It wasn't something that we did. It was something that happened to us. And we were trying to, and, and my, my counselor said, Kevin, whoa, you need to accept it. It's like, I want to accept that. It's so it's obviously not right. And he said, Kevin, if you don't accept it, you can't do anything with it. You might not like it. It might not be right but you've got to accept it. There are things you cannot control. You cannot change that only God can. So what do we do with the things that we can't change, especially about the people that we love? We accept them. We've got to accept. And somebody needs to hear this because this is remarkably free. Accepting a person is not the same as accepting their decisions. Okay? We love that when it's us, when somebody's able to give us some grace and know we've made some mistakes and accept us as a person and love us in spite of ourselves. We need to be the kind of people that give that gift to other people. And then number three, trust the goodness and faithfulness of God above all else. I was thinking about, why, why do we stop trusting in life? I think we do that because we've trusted the wrong things. We've trusted a person. We've trusted a promise that was from a person, that was from a thing. We've trusted things. We've trusted plans that aren't rooted in the heart of God. And it failed us and it broke our hearts. Here's the thing. Y'all listen to me. God is good. He is faithful. And you can trust him with it. You might say, well, what's the it that I can trust him? It's whatever. Your kids are making decisions that you know are broken and it's not going to lead to something that's... Trust Him with your kids. You feel something happening in your marriage with you and your spouse. Trust God with it. Something going on in your job, in your career. You can trust God with it. Something's going on in your own heart. You feel kind of a rising fear and discord. Trust God with it. Whatever you're facing, you can trust God with it. So would your Christmas be better? What, what, what if Christmas what wasn't all about you? You accept things where they are and you trust God with all the things in your life. Would your Christmas be better if you were more like a child? 
Could there be more joy this Christmas? Could there be more peace? I bet there could. In its essence, this is all about belief. It's all about belief. And every week, we're going to take you back through the stories of some of our favorite movies. And we're going to come back to nearly the same point every week. Will you believe? Will you believe like a child? I hope this Christmas you believe like a child. It's not about neglecting responsibility. It's not about behaving impulsively. It's about belief. Will you believe? Will you believe that God's able to rescue your kids and work in your marriage and do the thing in your life that you've been praying for? Will you believe that God's able to move in your career and to change the things that feel broken? Will you believe? Because be reminded of what Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, unless you are willing to change, become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.